Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the show, we discuss the growing appeal of the BRICS group. Twenty-two years after former Goldman Sachs banker Jim O'Neill coined the term, the grouping of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa now account for forty percent of the world population and twenty-five percent of global GDP. In the past few months, countries like Saudi Arabia, Bangladesh, and others have queued up to join the group or its new development bank. Talks on whether BRICS should have its own currency have also emerged. So, what's behind the growing appeal of the BRICS group? How does it contribute to the betterment of global governance? To become more powerful and influential, what challenges does it face? Now, for these questions and more, I'm joined by Rian Vandermeerve, Regional Programs Associate for the Southern African Youth Forum, Renato Balman, Technical Staff at Brazilian Government Think Tank IPEA, also Professor at the Department of Economics, University of Brasilia. Also, we have Lu Xiankun, former Senior Trade Diplomat of China, founder and CEO of the Friends of Multilateralism Group, a think tank on WTO based in Geneva. We also have Professor Dai Yonghong, Director of the Institute of Global Governance and Area Studies at Shenzhen University in China. Now,、uh, thank you. A very big welcome to all of you for joining me to talk about、uh, this very important issue. First up, let's take a look at you know how have BRICS economies performed since the term was created by Jim O'Neill in two thousand and one. Maybe、um, let me start with、uh, Lu Xiankun,、uh, please. So. How has the bloc contributed to global growth and、uh, also contributed to global governance?、Uh, thank you very much for inviting me.、Mm. Uh, I think that、uh, the development of BRICS—I、uh, mean, not each and every one, but、uh, as a whole—has been、uh, going beyond the expectation. I think uh, since uh, uh, 2001, when Jim O'Neill established this、uh, term. I mean, recent figures say that uh, uh, between 2015 to 2020, the BRICS internal export rose by 45 percent, and、uh, BRICS as a total、uh, has increased its percentage in global GDP from、uh, 12 percent in 2006 to, to 25 percent、mm-hmm. uh, in 2021. So more than doubled, and also foreign investment is uh, also uh, increased to 45 percent now. And also, its、uh, contribution to the global economic growth has uh, 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 been beyond 50 percent,、uh, much more than the traditional players, the developed ones.、Mm. I'll stop here. Thank you.、Mm. Right.、Uh, what about、um, Professor Bowman? What's your take on this,、uh, especially about you know how the BRICS have contributed to global governance? Well, the when you take the well,、um, first of all, thank you for having me、mm-hmm. in, in this program.、Um, when you take the figures of GDP growth rate, for instance, twenty twenty ten, twenty fourteen, and then the last five years, twenty seventeen, twenty twenty two, you see that the recent rates、uh, of growth by the BRICS countries is about half what it used to be at the beginning of early decade, the previous decade. But then, the whole、uh, world has、uh, grown less as well.、Mm-hmm. So this is what explains the increase of relative importance of these、uh, five countries. Now, having said that,、um, the even though、uh, the group has gained importance in in,、uh, in these figures, the degree of recognition by uh, uh, the G7, so to speak,、mm-hmm. is less than what would be expected. Uh, because uh, when, when you see all these summit declarations from the very beginning, time and again, the light motive is we have to change the quotas, we have to change the governance of many multilateral institutions, and so on and so forth. So,、uh, yes, there's a have a quite significant contribution in terms of growth.、Uh, one,、mm. two. Because the rest of the the world has not grown as much or、uh, has grown less than before, but three,、uh, 
uh, that has not been uh, translated into uh, a more active role in the global governance, which is the very reason for the existence of this group, as far as I understand. Mm. Now, Rian, let me turn to you. So, uh, Professor Bowman has mentioned uh, that, you know, the growth of BRICS uh, is there, but it hasn't contributed as it should have um, on global governance. So, how, what's your take on that, Rian? Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me today. I think I, I definitely agree on that. And I mm. think that for me, speaking from a, a civil society perspective, obviously I come from the civic sector, I work a lot with youth and development organizations. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a real need for not only on the global governance level, but also on the ground for people within BRICS nations to actually start seeing the dividends of BRICS within their everyday lives, to see that this this entity that these countries belong to, that their governments and their and nations have signed on to is actually having direct impact. And to some extent it has, um, and I think the general public perhaps is not made aware enough of that mm-hmm. through public diplomacy and other means, but I definitely think there's, there's more that could be done to make sure that the average citizen is seeing the benefit uh, of this, both at a, at a micro scale, but also as, as was mentioned on, on a global scale, that this is benefiting them, mm. the nation being part of this group. Indeed. Um, certainly cultural and also people-to-people exchanges are very important part of, uh, you know, the governmental um, communications among these countries. Now, uh, let's take a look at uh, what's currently affecting, you know, the BRICS economies. Uh, and maybe let me start with uh, Professor Dan Yong-Hong. So, uh, in your opinion, how has the war in Ukraine affected the economies of BRICS countries? Oh, well, uh, thank you very much for having me uh, in this uh, broadcast. Uh, to my understanding, the Ukraine crisis uh, has also created conditions for the attractions of uh, BRICS countries, while the United States is busy forming an alliance to provide supplies for the war operations of Ukraine. The BRICS countries want to play a greater role in ending Russia and Ukraine's conflict, this clearly reflects the courage of the BRICS country. The BRICS country is now regarded as the most powerful sound of global southern, dominated by the United States after World War II. For the BRICS countries, overcoming internal problems and using historical opportunities not only need to strengthen mutual understanding and trust, but also to propose diplomatic talents and a vision of bold initiative. Mm. So in, in addition, Western countries such as the United States have also attached an increasingly important role in British countries. On June 24th, U.S. National Security Advisor Shanivan mm. held a closed-door meeting with representatives of Copenhagen in Copenhagen with the European Union and many discussing the support of neutral countries, in particular India, China, Brazil, and South Africa, and other BRICS are planned to hold a meeting on Russia and Ukraine peace talk as early as possible. Mm. Now, Professor Bowman, um, in you come from uh, Brazil, so how does the war, how is the war, you know, affecting the economy of uh, Brazil and uh, Brazil's, let's say, participation within the BRICS mechanism? You cannot forget that before the war, mm. we had uh, at least two or three years of pandemic. Indeed. So uh, the actual imp- significant impact on productive structure is uh, started well before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But having said that, uh, the war specifically has affected the, the Brazilian economy directly uh, because this economy is uh, quite competitive in agribusiness and uh, imports quite a lot of fertilizers. So in the first moment was a significant shock and uh, which I understand has been uh, uh, managed so far but at the beginning was a very significant shock. Now, of course, everybody has been affected, uh, at least at the beginning, by the oil price. Mm. And uh, we're, Brazil is not a, an exception in that regard. Mm. 
Uh, again, uh, I understand that the oil market has stabilized to some extent. Prices are not as high as uh, 100% or $100 uh, as we uh, used to have a few months ago. But still, this is a, a hanging sword. Uh, nobody knows exactly uh, where this is going, how far this is going, this conflict, mm-hmm. and uh, what are the chances for uh, achieving a peace agreement in the short term. Mm. Of course, uh, every effort is being done, but uh, it's still very much clouded, I would say, the, mm. the whole scenario. It is certainly, you know, the uncertainty that worries people the most. Um, so, what, how, how, in your uh, observation, I mean, we have seen reports uh, saying that uh, the new development bank of the BRICS mechanism have frozen the Russian part of the asset. Um, in your observation, how has the war in Ukraine affected uh, the lending ability of BRICS new development bank? Uh, my humble observation is, as you say, that the, the, the activities of the new development bank has more or less kind of uh, suspended or being frozen because if you look at the figures that uh, uh, before the war started the uh, new development bank's loans uh, uh, the general uh, volume is around one uh, 14 billion US dollars and it remains 14, like that 14 billion dollars a year yeah uh, yeah I think so right uh, okay. uh, uh, and uh, no for up to that moment, the whole the whole volume, not ah, every year. Okay, got yeah, it. And, mm-hmm. and after that, the, the volume remains around that level. So which means that uh, that's why people say it's suspended. Uh, what I have been reading is that actually uh, two reasons. First is that uh, uh, Russia and China are the major contributors, uh, uh, like other BRIC countries. So 20% from Russia, which is being sanctioned by the Western, mm-hmm. and then 20% by China, which has been its position has been challenged. So uh, the main challenge for uh, the bank is that the the cost for it to raise money is much higher than before the war. Uh, some figures say that four times more. So I think that probably are some of the reasons behind. But I will let other capable uh, co-panelists to to talk mm. about that. Thank you. Indeed. I mean, uh, these are not only, you know, statistics, but also we're talking about uh, the infrastructure projects, maybe in certain countries and also the livelihood of people. Uh, While you're listening to World Today, we're having a panel discussion on the BRICS mechanism. We're going to a short break. We'll be right back. As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why. Patriotism, simply put, is the feeling of love for or devotion to one's country. Isn't it an innate human sentiment? Why does it have to be promoted? As China molds its first patriotic education law, who's most likely to violate the law once it's in place? Find the answers to these questions and more on this week's Chat Lounge, wherever you get your podcast, and right here on CGTN Radio. Welcome back to World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the show, we're discussing the growing appeal of BRICS countries and the BRICS mechanism. Uh, now, let me give you all some figures here. Uh, BRICS countries now represent 40% of the glo- world population and 25% of global GDP. Uh, what's crucial to also to be mentioned here is while the share of GDP of G7 nations based on PPP has reduced from uh, 50.42% of the world's GDP in 1982 to today roughly about 30% in 2020, um, which means, uh, well, well, I'll leave the analysis to our panelists here, but uh, um, maybe, maybe again, uh, let me start with uh, Professor Dai. Um, to what degree do you think uh, the rise of uh, uh, BRICS countries and BRICS economies being recognized and also acknowledged among G7 and other Western countries today? Uh, you know, at the very beginning of the 1970s, uh, 
The G7 countries accounted for nearly 70% of the global economy, and they were self-proclaimed to focus on global governance and economic issues. But with the rise of the majority of the developing countries and emerging economies, the GDP percentage of the global economy of G7 member states experienced a continuous decline in the global proportion. In 2022, this data has fallen to uh, 43.67%, actually a record low. In terms of population, G7 member states account for less than 10% of the world's population. More and more views believe that the the representation of this G7 in the International Committee has actually shrunk uh, seriously. Mm. So I uh, mm. so I especially emphasize that uh, G7 is not only not recognized by the outside, but also faced internal contradictions. Taking the so-called economic stress of the recent frequent hype of the United States as an example, many member states of the G7 have been victims of the economic coercion in the United States. As early as the 1980s, the mm, United States... But Professor, Professor Dai, I'm, 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 I'm also wondering, you know, do um, G7 countries as well as other Western countries today recognize and also acknowledge the importance and the rise of um, BRICS economies today? Professor? Uh, mm. Yes, the they recognize the rise of uh, BRICS countries, mm-hmm. uh, especially in terms of its uh, uh, continuous uh, expansion of GDP capacity and also its uh, big size of population size, mm-hmm. the population. And uh, just, la- just as I mentioned that uh, their percentage of uh, GDP in the global economy uh, is actually shrinking uh, for G7, but uh, the BRICS country is expanding. So this is absolutely too, uh, a sharp contrast. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Now, uh, Ria, you come from you know the youth uh, community and you work for them. So um, tell us your understanding of the awareness among you know the youth community on you know how important BRICS mechanism is. Thank um, I think generally, if you look at, for example, if you use social media and you look at some of the, the comments that young people are making, whether it's about the situation in Ukraine, whether it's about relations between um, South Africa and other BRICS nations or South African Western nations, you actually realize that, that young people are quite in tuned to, to the importance of, of the global South, particularly mm-hmm. uh, working together. A lot of sympathy for this idea that global south nations have been excluded uh, for a very long time and that as an up-and-coming generation uh, particularly in south africa but also colleagues in other parts of, of BRICS that we've worked with um through our youth development work there is this general sentiment that in the next generation we don't want this kind of dynamic to to continue and there's an awareness that it's a very been a very unfair dynamic and that our future is very much dependent on on changing it um, so I would say there's, there's there's a strong awareness, and I, I think we should we should really feed into that. Mm. Well, Professor Bowman, how how do you look at this? How do you see you know the recognition as well as acknowledgement among Western economies, developed economies, on you know the rise and the significance of BRICS? Uh, I think that was a pinch of salt. Um, mm. <laughs> I think that uh, uh, there are a huge number of uh, meetings that take place over. The the uh, all over the year, uh, mm-hmm. every single year, number of uh, ministries that meet. Uh, there's a good deal of effort to provide the mutual knowledge among the five countries as well as uh, build uh, common initiatives. But having said that, to the extent that the this uh, knowledge, actual knowledge of the BRICS as such and its actual importance is not mirrored and does not show up, for instance, in the Brazilian press Mm. or in social movements. Uh, I fully agree that there is this perception of uh, uh, 
uh, global south is something new that should be uh, not new it should be recognized and should be uh, given more value and so on and so forth but that doesn't mean that the BRICS as such is uh, recognized as the uh, the main representative of the global south in that regard mm. so what and, do you mean by that so, professor Bond? Sorry? what do you mean by that i mean mm. the need for more uh, divulgation of the exercise. Mm. It, it shows up in the press uh, a few weeks before the meeting, the summits, right. and a few weeks after the summits, and then it disappears, mm. which means that it's not a solid image. And my reading of that is that uh, uh, the actual uh, objectives of the group is still very much blurred uh, because you have... Uh, each time, each summit, uh, an increasing number of uh, objects, an increase, huge declarations, increasing number of articles, that makes it less clear what are the specific and most important objectives of the group. And mm -hmm. that, to my view, affects the group uh, uh, action towards uh, the uh, influencing global governance as a group, Mm. as well as the uh, public image of the group in at least in one of the five countries. This one that I, I know better. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, can, um, can I uh, yes, add a few yes, words, please. if you allow me? Yes, no, yes, please. I just want to humbly complete uh, to already said by others. Uh, from my point of view, that uh, uh, there's a certain degree of recognition of the mm -hmm. rise of emerging economies, including the BRICS. That's why in 1999, uh, G20 was is established and which was said to replace G8 then. Indeed. Uh, but now we see that the kind of G20 is far away from realizing that objective. And you see a research of G7, I won't go into detail. And if we look at the global governance structure, I think that the, 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 the power of the emerging economies, including BRICS, are far from being representative. Let's look at... Uh, uh, on one hand, in the WTO, developed countries like U.S., EU have been asking uh, major developing countries like China, India, the BRIC ones, uh, to, to let go their special differential treatment and developing country status. So you need to take more more obligation, less rights. But on mm -hmm. the other hand, uh, let's say in the World Bank, China is five times bigger in terms of economy right. uh, than Japan. But its voting power is only two-thirds of Japan and one-third of the U.S. India has a similar situation. You have a similar situation in IMF. And it's always that the, 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 the president of World Bank has to be American. And then the president of IMF, IMF has, has to be, to be European. European. Mm. Yeah, so how, how, how is that recognized? I think no, we are far from that. Thank you. Mm. Now, Xianku, yeah. I want to follow up on that. Uh, we have about a minute before we wrap up, but... Uh, how do you think, you know, the BRICS mechanism and the New Development Bank um, has contributed to how the world is governed? What is new about it? Uh, I think the BRICS is, uh, is trying to provide a new public good, mm -hmm. a kind of a new mechanism which could enhance the representativeness of a global uh, governance structure and also trying to provide some new ideas to respond to global Challenges. If you you go back to 2001 when BRICS start to uh, uh, meet each other, and then you see that two main things they have been promoting. The first thing is that promote representative representativeness and the power of developed countries and the new uh, emerging countries in global governance structure, including WTO, IMF, World Bank, so on and so forth. And also on the trade side, that the BRICS has also been trying to promote WTO reform and against um, unilateralism, trade protectionism. So it has been kind of a very uh, positive uh, kind of force in, in the global governance structure. But of course, they cannot do by themselves. It has to uh, be uh, given uh, more power, uh, including voting rights, more, more obligations, uh, a kind of position which re uh, mirror uh, their power, new power. I think that's uh, still we have some way to go. I'll stop here. Thank you. Mm.
Indeed, the voting power has always been one of the key issues at these multilateral、um, platforms. Well, you're listening to World Today. We're having a discussion on the growing appeal of the BRICS group. We're going to a short break. We'll be right back after this break. As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews. We need the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition, we're discussing the growing appeal of the BRICS group. Joining me are Rian Van der Merwe, Regional Programs Associate for the Southern African Youth Forum; Renato Balman, Technical Staff at Brazilian Government Think Tank IPEA; also Professor at the Department of Economics, University of Brasilia; Lu Xiankun, former Senior Trade Diplomat of China, Founder and CEO of the Friends of Multilateralism Group, a think tank on WTO based in Geneva. We also have Dr. Dai Yonghong, Director, Institutes of Global Governance and Areas Studies at Shenzhen University in China. Continue with our discussion. We were talking about、um, how BRICS have、uh, contributed to the、uh, global governance. Now, Rian, I have a question for you.、Uh, you must be watching, you know,、uh, how these、um, global governance platforms, such as IMF, World Bank, BRICS, etc.,、uh, really work for the different member states. What's your take on that? So I think there's there's a general recognition that these organisations have sort of、um, need some reform, and even in some of the work that we do within civil society, there's recognition that、uh, on the ground these these institutions aren't necessarily、mm. delivering、mm. what they need to be delivering.、Mm. Um, I think linking back to a previous question about looking at the situation, you. Situation now, where, for example, seven African states, heads of state, the South African president,、uh, go go to a place like Russia and Ukraine and try to negotiate a peace agreement, try to position Africa in a more active way in global affairs, which has traditionally not been the case. Because if you look at, for example, in the UN, in these traditional organisations like IMF and World Bank, Africa is usually seen as the more passive, you know, partner that just receives, that that、um, that is the one that develops, that attends the meetings. But we now see a situation where, particularly African nations, the global south. More broadly, wanted to take a more proactive stance、mm. in mm. managing global affairs, which has traditionally, as has been mentioned by previous panelists, been "quote unquote" designated to Europeans and Americans.、Mm. Right. And so, I think there is a a general perception and a movement towards in Af- towards countries saying, "Look, we want to actually shape." We'll continue with uh, this. Um, we have been seeing in the past a few months of、uh, reports of uh, different uh, national governments trying to join either BRICS or the New Development Bank.、Uh, for example, in late May this year,、uh, media reports show Saudi Arabia, one very influential country in the Middle East, was in talks with BRICS New Development Bank to become a member. Um, now, Professor Bowman, how do you see the consideration of Saudi Arabia on this decision, and what does a Saudi member on the NDB mean for the bank?、Um, well, two, two aspects. One is membership to the BRICS, new members to the BRICS. I think、mm. it's far too early.、Uh, why so? For coherence with uh, my uh, first. Talk,、um, previous talk.、Uh, I think the group has still to build up、uh, more clearly the objectives and coherence among the five, the original five. Having said that,、uh, another thing is、uh, participation as callable capital to the new development bank, which is very well, very welcome. Why so? Because of, by definition, it increases the availability of resources、uh, to the bank. And、uh, as、uh, was previously mentioned, there is uh, uh, an increasing cost of uh, uh,、mm. uh, uh, getting capital these days.、Mm. So、uh, additional callable capital is、uh, most welcome. And 
specifically from the viewpoint of uh, considering uh, South Africa, that brings the New Development Bank uh, a potential opportunity to act in some point in future time in a region uh, that is not represented you mean in, the, Saudi Arabia, in, the bank, right? in the BRICS group, mm. the Middle East. Mm, yes. uh, <clears throat> the bank is still very much focusing in projects in the five uh, BRICS countries. But in some point in time, it will, uh, probably it's uh, in the mandate, it will in some point in time also uh, deal with projects somewhere else. Mm. And uh, of course, the Middle East is a natural candidate in that regard. Mm. Right. Now, Professor Dai, what's your take on that? How do you react to Professor Bowman's take that uh, it may be a little bit early for BRICS or, you know, um, the New Development Bank to to expand, mm. to include more members? Mm. Yes, to my understanding, I think that the Saudi Arabia uh, now is choosing to learn from the East. Saudi Arabia's uh, uh, co-organizer candidates and uh, BRICS candidate countries are used to strive to become members of the emerging economies. Uh, you know, in the BRICS organizations, there are two permanent members of the UN Security Council, China and Russia, which uh, can speak uh, fairness internationally. In the BRICS countries, there are the, the world's natural gas uh, uh, producers uh, like Russia, uh, with the developed uh, uh, culture industry or uh, culture in Brazil, India with a full labor, yeah, they have advantage in labor force and the golden reserves in South Africa and China. Uh, and China, of course, uh, uh, its uh, economic performance is amazing. And my personal uh, view on this uh, mm. possible or potential impacts of of this uh, application for uh, Saudi Arabia in the BRICS, maybe uh, in view of this important position of for Saudi Arabia as a major oil country, a huge funding pool effect, and its pivotal economic influence in the Middle East, its addition will inject new blood and uh, a strong vitality into the BRICS countries mm. so that the financial capacity and the economy of the BRICS countries will be, uh, will, uh, their strengths will be uh, uh, improved. And in the context of the current world situation, turbulent turbulency, especially the overall economic growth and the problem of the difficulty in financing mentioned above, this seems uh, pressures and uh, very Timely, so I think that uh, it, it is a good thing. Um, if you can, if Saudi Arabia can successfully join, it will help increase the bank's capital scale, the and mm. the, the capital right. adequacy ratio, mm. and the contract support. At the same time, it can reflect the strategic execution of the bank and enhance its importance and the strategic position for member states, right. bank infrastructure projects, mm. the financing channels help Saudi Arabia to create a more diversified economic structure. Mm. It will well, also enhance mm. Saudi Arabia's ability to release the economic and the physical impact mm. under the background of the global carbon transformation, which Certainly. reducing government mm. liquidity mm. and extender vulnerability risks. Right. Certainly Saudi Arabia, you know, is taking a big step uh, in expressing yeah. its interest in joining yeah. the new development bank. Uh, but uh, going back to, you know, the topic of uh, uh, BRICS or the new development bank uh, expansion, Xianquan, what's your take on that? Do you think it is way too early um, to uh, include more members? But we're talking about two different structures, right? One is BRICS, the other one's new development bank. Uh, no, for me, I mean, both are new organizations, mm. and you, even you cannot call them global organizations. They Indeed. are more like the regional mm. or among a few countries. But I think anything starts from small and humble. Uh, I mean, if you go, uh, if we went back to after Second World War, 
the World Bank now is really global with close to 200 member countries. Uh, it, 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 it is objective and then was simply to rebuild Europe uh, with the U- U.S. Marshall Fund. Mm. Uh, but after that, it began to, to, to include more countries. It began to expand its business scope uh, by helping uh, c- countries from more than just Europe, but also Latin America, Asia, and Africa, and so on and so forth, and attract more countries to come, and it became a global organization. So I think that it's far early to tell whether now uh, either BRICS or New Development Bank try to attract more countries, or some countries uh, are trying to, to uh, join these two, two, two institutions uh, too early or not. We just need to give them time and wait and see. Uh, then my conclusion, uh, another point to conclude is that if we have existing global uh, governance structure, uh, which could evolve and which could readapt and to to accommodate the requests of developed countries like Saudi Arabia or least developed countries like Bangladesh mm. to have more more power, more say. <laughs> then probably they don't need to join either BRIC or New Development Bank. But if they cannot find anything there, they would uh, switch to other uh, institutions but, like these two now. Mm, yeah. On that, on that, are you optimistic that you know the current multilateral organizations such as the IMF and the World Bank can adapt to the degree that you just mentioned? Uh, well, <laughs> it depends, and it's mm. too early to tell because right now. Uh, World Bank and IMF are, are discussing uh, reforming their voting rights, special joint uh, rights, mm-hmm. and so forth. WTO is also discussing things last year. It, it's reform. And one, one, one of the main uh, issues is to see how uh, we can rebalance rights and obligations, which means that probably give more uh, power to uh, emerging economy, uh, developing countries mm-hmm. uh, and also ask them to take more obligations. But we are far from realizing anything in all these uh, uh, organizations. So it right. depends. We, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we don't have answers yet because all these are very long process. So the upcoming leader summit will be held in South Africa in August uh, and talks about, you know, a Saudi membership on the New Development Bank, as well as uh, Bangladesh um, membership on BRICS uh, are, you know, being reported in the media. Professor Dai, how do you think the South African government as the host of the summit will accommodate all these topics in August? Uh, so regarding uh, Bangladesh's uh, uh, qualification or application for this uh, uh, NDB, uh, in fact, not only Bangladesh, more and more countries are actually lining up to apply for joining, such as uh, Venezuela. Uh, you see, Venezuela President Maduro has uh, submitted his application, and e- Egypt also revealed the willingness to join BRICS country. And President Honduras, who had previously visited China, had officially applied for joining the, the NDB. And uh, of course, South Africa had previously mm-hmm. stated that uh, so far 19 countries. Uh, uh, expressed their their will to 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 join. So I I, I think that maybe at one time, uh, maybe it's not uh, uh, possible for the BRICS to admit uh, 19 countries uh, at uh, at once mm-hmm. at one time. Mm. So I'm not so optim- optimistic about the, mm. the, 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 the the well, the, indeed, uh, 19 countries. 19 is indeed a very big number, you know, for. Uh, as uh, Xian Kun has mentioned, uh, quite a new organization such as BRICS and the New Development Bank. Well, another very big uh, and interesting development is that uh, there are, you know, media reports showing discussions are being undertaken now on whether and how the five countries will create a BRICS currency. Uh, now, Professor Bowman, uh, let me go to you first. Um, how much yeah. has this to do? You know, this BRICS currency talk has this to do with the de-dollarization trend of our world today. Uh, To my view, uh, speak about a common currency at uh, at the BRICS is just a nonsense. (laughs) Why so? Because to have a common currency, you need to have a set of of, uh, institutions, a central bank, 
the issuer of the, the currency, you have to have uh, a number of conditions that just doesn't make sense. They are not present in the group as such. Now, uh, I, my reading is that uh, it, it is a bad name for something else that people might have in, time, in mind. One is the reduction of the uh, dollar dependency, which mm. is quite all right. And the other thing is to uh, build up a, a mechanism to uh, improve or facilitate uh, exchanges, uh, investments and trade among five countries, which makes every sense. Now, mm. to call that common currency is just a nonsense. It, it, it's unfeasible. It, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, the uh, Western European countries took more than 50 years and uh, I don't know how many initiatives to reach the euro and, and yet uh, a number of the uh, Union European members mm. never uh, joined in. So it's not easy. It's not, not easy. that easy. Mm. Not at all. Mm. No. Just doesn't no. make sense. To speak of a common BRICS common currency as such. Mm. Well, uh, Xianquan, how do you see this issue? Um, I mean, Professor Bowman said uh, it doesn't make sense at the moment, you know, to talk about currency, but uh, people are talking about it. So, how does the interest in this? What does the interest in this show? You know, the public opinion on BRICS. Uh, I, I think it, it, it's an interesting idea. If you if you we go back to. June 1st, when the South African Foreign Affairs Minister uh, mentioned this kind of idea, mm. uh, that you could see that uh, one concern is still uh, still very much uh, try to avoid the uh, U.S. unilateral sanction. I mean, some of our colleagues always uh, have been saying that, that the U.S. unilateral trade sanction on China and then it's a more fully-fledged sanction on Russia after the mm. war. Uh, has been kind of a wake-up call. So people are saying that when some major players are do, uh, doing things unilaterally uh, without a UN mandate or without a kind of a global mandate, how could you avoid a potential impact on that? I, 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 but I agree with uh, my co-panel mm. that, that this is still far away to, to, to become something real. Uh, and he said that, that uh, it took uh, Europe, Europe uh, uh, almost 50 years before the euro was uh, was uh, uh, really coming to uh, being. Uh, I think the the difference, as we discussed, the, the economic development, but also governance structure of uh, BRICS countries uh, will definitely have an impact on on anything uh, on the stability of any currency it may 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 establish. But also the the, the operationality of how you govern such a kind of common mm-hmm. currency and other factors such as that. Uh, you have a kind of still not a kind of political uh, trust uh, among BRICS countries. China, India has doesn't have a kind of current currency swap agreement yet, and the, uh, Russia is still under the Western sanction, and which uh, impacts uh, on its cooperation with other BRICS. So all those things, I think, uh, is still uh, a long-term shot. Uh, it has some value, uh, maybe uh, uh, academic, but mm. uh, I, I agree that it's far from anything real in the near future. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Uh, another interesting development is that we see um, French foreign minister uh, confirming that uh, French President Emmanuel Macron is willing to attend this year's summit in South Africa. Um, he is the first Western leader to have shown such interest. Uh, Professor Bauman, 
Now to you. Why is Macron interested uh, in this year's summit? Do you think uh, and interested in BRICS at all? Well, that's a good question.、Um, I, my reading is that.、Uh, Perhaps、uh, three、uh, three answers to that question. One、mm-hmm. is to、uh, provide the proximity with the five members, just to taking taking into account the sheer、uh, weight of these five economies, or at least two of the five economies in the world scenario.、Uh, second,、um, a different approach、uh, with regard to the、uh, historical role of France in the African continent, which. I think it still raises some some traumas、uh, in a few countries. And third,、uh, Macron has been very active in promoting, in trying to mobilize、uh, efforts and try to、uh, promote、uh, peace between Russia and Ukraine. So Russia will be there, China will be there, India will be there, Brazil, and of course South Africa. So、uh, he might perhaps bring some. Proposal in terms of、uh, the BRICS,、uh, including in its、uh, formal agenda,、mm. the role of uh, intermediating uh, a dialogue,、uh, provided that Russia is a, a full member.、Mm. God knows. Uh, uh, I think this,、really uh, knows. these are three possibilities that come、mm. to my mind of、mm. uh, reasons for him to. To go there.、Mm, that's an interesting perspective you have uh,、yeah. provided, uh, Rian. Let me try you again. So, how is the news、um, of that?、Uh, you know, French、um, President Emmanuel Macron willing to attend、uh, the South Africa summit、uh, being received domestically in South Africa? So, I think in general, I'm, I'm going to first start with with a more recent event that happened. We saw the Paris summit that happened. That Macron hosted recently,、um, there was a lot of pushback from African leaders and from Global South leaders on the way that the West treats Africa. And I think Macron received a lot of the the flak on that.、Um, but I think from from a local perspective, looking at how South African citizens and African citizens more broadly responded to that, it was quite positive. On the one sense that they they really enjoyed that African leaders were standing up to a a, a Western leader like Macron and saying, "Look, we want to change things." But at the same time, there was recognition that. Uh, he was actually there. He was present. He was listening. And I think on Macron's part, this sort of reflects his own desire to build new bridges between the global South and Western leaders that go beyond the traditional、um, dynamics. I mean, we've we've seen like in in Macron's approach to to foreign policy, he's he's moved towards the sovereign Europe kind of idea that Europe should think for itself and act for itself, and not just do whatever the United States is doing. And so I see. I think locally there's this recognition that okay we see France and and some Western leaders wanting to take a different approach to the way that the West and the global South interact with each other,、um, and at least from my initial、uh, sort of、mm. discussions with people here, looking at social media again, looking at public discourse, that is sort of being received with cautious optimism that 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 there might be a new sort of dynamic arising. But I think only time will tell whether that will bear fruit.、Mm. Indeed,、uh, as both of you have、uh, mentioned, you know France does have、uh, a lot of、uh, historical as well as you know current interests in、uh, in Africa. Well, before I, I want to make sure, you know,、um, before we conclude, I want to make sure that we touch upon the challenges facing the BRICS、uh, group. Uh, certainly, the the group has its own challenges.、Uh, I mean, just to give you a few examples, you know, politically, relations between China and India have become strained in the past few years because of disputes on territory,、uh, journalist visa, etc. And economically,、uh, as most of you have mentioned, the organization remains a loose platform in lack of further engagement momentum. Again, Xianquan, start with you.、Uh, what remains the biggest challenge for BRICS mechanism to further improve itself and become more influential? Thank you.、Uh, I, my experience is that when we look at a new platform or new mechanism, we tend to kind of amplify their difference and also their their kind of um, uh, 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 divergence, and, and we tend to neglect. Uh, the commonality, or, or, or sometimes the the kind of areas where they could、uh, converge. I'm、mm. of course, as you and others say, that BRICS definitely have a, a lot of difference, and、uh, on specific issues, they sometimes even have totally opposite positions. <laughs> uh, but uh, so the the biggest challenge for BRICS is、uh, how they 
and to 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 what degree they can overcome uh, that kind of difference uh, through dialogue, through cooperation, or sometimes try to put aside their difference and then try to in, uh, increase their cooperation in different areas so as to increase their commonality and also increase their common interests. Probably that's where the uh, where lies, lies the strength of the, the BRICS. Uh, but that's why we are also seeing an increasingly expanding uh, agenda of the BRICS uh, from the previously economic cooperation, dialogue, now to, to much more broader, such as political and security, trade, financial, monetary, agriculture, people-to-people exchange, so on and so forth. So give it time. Who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. BRICS will, will become a powerful a player in the global uh, governance structure. We don't know now, but we will know probably in the years to come. Well, Professor Bauman, how do you see the challenges? Once I went to uh, had a discussion about BRICS, and uh, one of the participants said... Uh, Welcome Brazil in South Africa to Eurasian conflicts. <laughs> so one challenge is, of course, to deal with the internal conflicts. But mm-hmm. the overall, I think the m- main challenge to the BRICS is to just build up its identity, its uh, internal and external identity. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. something that uh, the five countries should aim at more uh, directly. Can, and you, can you explain uh, more, a little bit more in specifics? What do you mean by identity the possibility of uh, the group being recognized somewhere else or even by the members uh, uh, with clear objectives and clear uh, proposals and clear targets mm. uh, my point is that uh, there are far too many issues raised by the, the some declarations mm. the uh, pro temporary presidency model uh, feeds that because each president, each country that has the presidency uh, wants <laughs> right. to add a, a mm. new issue. So, Indeed. Uh, I think, I think is, you just mentioned it's one. In, it's, there is a built-in mechanism that doesn't mm. help, but uh, there should be more effort in terms of uh, building up this identity, identity. as well as objective. Thank you for that. Um, yes. It certainly looks like uh, BRICS countries do have a lot of work to do um, in the future. It'll be interesting to see how South Africa will host this year's summit. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. Again, I want to thank our guests, Rian van der Merwe, Renato Bauman, and Lu Xianquan, also Professor Dai Yonghong. If you want to catch up with more of our discussions, you can find our podcast by searching World Today. You can also follow us on Twitter at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.